Well, we are continuing our study in Deuteronomy this week, and all fall, as we've studied it, we have been saying that Deuteronomy is a covenant document. It is a treaty between God the King and Israel his people. It is a treaty with laws that tell the people of Israel how they are supposed to live when they enter the promised land, how they're supposed to live in the land where God is the king. And if you pick up Deuteronomy and you read it front to back, you'll realize that it is a book with all kinds of laws. And some of those laws are very specific laws. They're what we would call civil laws. And those laws are the ones that only apply to that civilization in that time and place. A lot of times they have specific consequences attached to them or very specific scenarios. And, and we don't follow the civil law anymore. Uh, nobody does. In fact, no one has been supposed to follow the civil law for thousands of years. Ever since uh, Israel was destroyed by Babylon, people haven't followed those laws. But it doesn't mean the civil laws are useless for us or that they're meaningless. In fact, we have a great benefit in studying those laws because as we study them, they help us to understand the moral law. Now, the moral law is the Ten Commandments found in Exodus, found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Those are the things we have been studying all fall. Those are the things that apply to us and that uh, all of these other smaller laws they come out of. And so as we study the civil laws this morning, what I'm hoping is it will help us gain some insight into the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment, that's what we're looking at today, you shall not steal. And as we compare those things, some of the civil laws with this big moral law, I'm hoping it's going to teach us a few things. It's going to teach us that, that this law prohibits theft. That's the first thing. This law prohibits theft. Secondly, it teaches us that this law demands generosity and equity. And thirdly, it tells us that this law promises riches. So that's where we're going this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is that this law prohibits theft. That should be clear enough, right? <laughs> the command is do not steal. So that would mean that theft is off limits. And on first glance, that's, this is one of those laws like you should not murder, that we can come across and we can feel pretty good about. In general, most of us don't wrestle with this one all that much until we look at some of those civil laws I was talking about, until we see what else God has to say about the principle behind this command. So let's look at a couple of those. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. If you don't own a Bible, please grab one of these paperback Bibles and take it home with you. We'd love everybody to have a copy. But here's what Deuteronomy 25 says. It tells us, you shall have in your house, you shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and a fair weight you shall have. A full and a fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things act dishonestly and are an abomination to the Lord your God. So that's one. It talks about having just and fair measures, not being deceptive in, in the way you handle money. Then chapter 25, it says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and he counts on it. 
lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Okay, so this law, it it prohibits theft, but it also prohibits any way that we deal dishonestly or unjustly with things that rightfully belong to others. That's what we see in those commands. So take that commandment that, that was about paying people for the work they do for you. It says you need to pay that person that day. In the Eighth Commandment, we find this principle that when we use a good, when we use somebody's services, we cannot be deceptive when we, when we handle the payment. So if we ask somebody to do some work for us, we pay them for it. Simple enough, right? If we use goods that cost money, then we pay for them, right? Seems simple. Otherwise, if we don't pay, that's called theft. But you know, as I've been thinking about this, the rise of the internet has really revolutionized our ability to break this commandment. Anybody remember Napster? You guys remember this? If you don't, it came out almost 20 years ago now. But it was this software program that was very popular that allowed us to download music, right? But not only to download music, to download it for free. And all of a sudden, I remember thinking as as a young person, well, that's great. Music's free now. What a wonderful thing. We don't have to pay. And then it turned out pretty quickly we learned that this was not so innocent after all, but but it quickly rose to the level of, of a gray area, we'll say. And then not too long after that, it went from a gray area to clearly illegal as, as uh, music, the music industry started to collapse around us, as these big corporations started filing lawsuits against teenagers who had computers full of music. It turned out that that was theft. It was a failure to pay for something that cost money. It was a failure to pay for someone's art that they had produced. It was theft. And you know, today, this is still a pretty common way we can skirt around this law. This is one of those ways that we break it without really knowing that we break it, without really thinking that's what we're doing. I just read this week that uh, the second season of Stranger Things came out. Did anybody watch that? You can, you can, you know, clap or shout or something. Let me know. I, 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 I've read that people watch this show. It's popular. Um, Stranger Things came out on Netflix. A lot of us probably watched it, but my question is, do you actually pay for Netflix? How did you watch it? You know, these, the, you might think it's harmless, like, hey, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't pay for things, but why don't you pay for things that, that others pay for? The civil law, these laws remind us at the end of the day that this commandment is not ultimately about goods. It's not ultimately about the exchange of possessions or money. It is actually about the way our decisions impact other human beings. So it's easy for you to think that your subscription fee to Netflix might not really harm some multi-millionaire movie star or some giant corporation. But the truth is, we all know that there is an entire blue-collar industry that is producing our entertainment. And if those people cry out because their wages are unfair, if those people cry out because of the oppression they're facing, do you recognize that, that you are at least a part of those oppressors they're crying out against? You're included in that. 
But let's be honest, why is that such a big deal? Why is this little thing such a big deal? Why is this one of the ten most important things that God tells us we need to beware of? Well, it's because this command is about much more than our desire to take someone else's property. Don't misunderstand. It is about that. It, this, the command not to steal does prohibit all kinds of theft. It prohibits breaking and entering. It prohibits identity theft. You know, it says that we shouldn't plagiarize. It prohibits even subprime mortgages, things that we do to, to rip people off. But this command has more to do with our reverence of God than it does with the property we take. Let me repeat that. It has more to do with our reverence of God than it has to do with the property that we take. Listen to this. Okay, this is Psalm 50. Here's what it says. God tells us, every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. God tells us in that psalm that everything on earth belongs to him. Everything. He is the owner of all things on this earth. That means that every dollar that you have in the bank rightfully belongs to him. It means that every thread of clothing on your body at this moment rightfully belongs to him. It means every hair on your head is his because he made it. He owns it. And our God is not a watchmaker kind of God. He's not the God who created all the things and then fit the world together and then set it up running and walked off. Our God didn't wander away and cease to care about the things in the world. But no, He is intimately involved with everything that goes on. He cares deeply about how things proceed in this world. Scripture tells us that He is sovereign over our goods and over the things that belong to us. Psalm 104, the psalmist is speaking of this reality. He's talking about God and he says, these things all look to you. Everything on earth looks to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. He says that God is in control of all the things that we have. Or as Job famously put it in the first chapter, after everything he had had been taken away, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All this comes together to tell us that theft, at its core, is an assault against the sovereignty of God. Theft, at its core, has two extremely destructive thoughts. It says, first, I cannot be content with what God has given me. God is not good. God has not provided what I need, and therefore, I must take it. And secondly, it says, I have the right to take what isn't mine. I am sovereign over my life and my neighbor's life. So I have the right to do what I please 
with their belongings. So, the Eighth Commandment, when you think about it, it really escalates quickly. All of a sudden, it's not just about taking things, but it's about the First Commandment as well. You should have no other gods before me. It's about putting yourself in the place of God. It's about the sixth commandment. You shall not kill because it's doing harm to your neighbor. It's about the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness because you're lying and you're deceiving. It's about the tenth commandment. You shall not covet because you're desiring things that aren't yours. Not just possessions, but you are desiring the very position that God sits in. Theft violates the Eighth Commandment, but it is the gateway to breaking all kinds of commandments. That's why Paul, in the New Testament, he says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So this command, it forbids theft. But theft is more than simply robbing somebody's house. It is any way that we deceptively or unjustly deal with things that belong to God. And so, like Martin Luther said, when we understand what this command really means, if we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide, stable, full of great thieves. That's what he says about the world. This, this commandment, at first, it prohibits theft. But secondly, this commandment, this law, demands generosity and equity. This law demands generosity and equity. When we start to think about those psalms, when we start to think about God as creator, it has to revolutionize what we think about ownership. When we start from the perspective that God owns everything, it has to change our ideas about what is ours. Amen? Amen. God was telling the Israelites here, they're about to hinder the promised land, and he says, you're going to have your own possessions. You're going to have stuff that belongs to you. You're going to have big farms and, and houses. You're going to have more than you know what to do with. They're not, right, they're, Deuteronomy, they're, they're not headed into a, a communal land where everyone owns everything equally. That's just not the way things work for them. But he made it very clear that everything they would have in that land was a gift. Over and over in Deuteronomy, he says, when you enter into the land the Lord your God is giving you, their possessions were gifts from God. And that reality, for them, is no different from our reality. That is something that remains true for all of God's people. J.I. Packer puts it this way. He says, if you understand what the Bible teaches about possessions, then you have to recognize that ownership is not possessing things to use for our own purposes, but receiving things from God to use for his own glory. Let me repeat that. He says, ownership is not possessing things to use for our own purposes, but receiving things from God to use for his glory. 
You know, we need to, we need to learn this, okay? So I want, you just to, I want you to repeat this after me. Say, not for my purposes, but for His glory. Not for my purposes, but for His glory. That is a radical idea. Can you imagine what would happen if our world started to believe that? If our world started to think this about our possessions? It would mean, well, not only are we prohibited from theft, right? Not only are we prohibited from dealing deceptively with things that have been given to others, but it means positively that we must actively seek to glorify God with what we do have. We must actively seek to glorify God with what we do have. Now, if you're a skeptic here this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you're not even sure there is a God, I want to tell you, I want to urge you to recognize if you don't believe this, you should at least want it to be true. If you don't believe this, you should at least want it to be true because it means that some of the things that we feel most deeply on this earth are absolutely the case. It means the way we feel injustice is correct. When we look at the world and we see rich people getting richer and poor people getting poorer and we think that should, things shouldn't be that way, it means you're right, things shouldn't be that way. Do you guys know that the distribution of wealth in our world is, is uh, more disparate than it's ever been in human history? I was just reading this week that, that the richest eight people in the world, so people who could fit inside of a minivan, the richest eight people in the world have as much wealth as the poorest 50% of the world. That means eight people on earth have as much wealth as 3.8 billion people. I think we can sense that that's wrong. Things like the, the Occupy Wall Street movement that happened a few years ago really clung on to this idea that, that it's unjust for 1% of the people to have most of the things while 99% of the people had nothing. And while this commandment, it doesn't offer us political solutions, it does say very clearly that the rich are obligated to the poor. That it is wrong for anyone to hoard while others have nothing or while they have very little. And so we have to face the fact, as, as Christians, we have to face the fact that there in some very real ways the values of our economy are opposed to the law of God. And as with each of these commandments, this isn't the first time we've come across this problem, right? There are some things that are legal that are illegal in the eyes of God. There are some things that are even celebrated in our culture that God calls sin. So even if there are no laws against certain kinds of predatory loans or a lottery system that is basically a tax on the poor. Even if there are no laws against the, an economic system that, that benefits the rich while the poor suffer, just because our nation praises something doesn't mean it's right. It can still anger God. Here's what one expert said about this. He said, 
There is no shortage of ways that people try to hide their misdeeds. And not only hide them, but turn them into praise by reframing them. He says, craftiness and deception are called prudence. And he's called insightful and shrewd, who cleverly cleverly scams or cons others. Who takes in the simple and oppresses the poor. The world boasts of vices as if they were virtues. You know, that's not a quote from Bernie Sanders. That is a quote from John Calvin 500 years ago. He says that what our culture calls shrewd business practice, the Bible calls sin. But this is not just a word for the millionaires and the billionaires sitting at the top. This is a word for all of us. The other part that we read this morning was Deuteronomy 23. It said, verse 24, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. You hear what this is saying? That law is giving a general principle of equity and generosity. For the poor, it says, you must respect the property of others. If you're poor, if you're hungry, you can take. But don't take more than your fair share. You don't have the right to take just because someone else has more, but you do have the right to some of it. For the rich, it says, your neighbor's welfare is just as important as your own. He says those who have are required to be generous. It says we should care just as much about our neighbor's well-being as we do for our own well-being. So if you have extra food, the hungry in the community are not only permitted to eat it, but listen to this, it says they have the right to eat it. In a very real sense, it is their food that you have. Here's what John Chrysostom said, another medieval guy. He says, the rich man's goods are not his own, but for his fellow servants. I beg you to remember this without fail, that not to share our wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our own wealth, but theirs. Do you hear that? If you do not give to the poor, he says, you are stealing from the poor. The same thing, if you don't give to God as he commands, if you don't tithe, if you don't give from the first fruits of what he's given you, if you don't give your wealth to the work of the spreading of the gospel, you are stealing from God. Scripture tells us what we have is not our own. It has been given to us and we are asked to be stewards of it. To use it for God's purposes. And this is a radical concept. I know, it's, it's hard to even conceive of. But Jerry Bridges does a really good job of breaking it down very simply. He says, when it comes to our possessions, there's really three ways that we can view things. 
One, we can say, what's yours is mine, and therefore I'm going to take it. That's the attitude of the thief. That is what is directly prohibited in the Eighth Commandment. But the second, the second way is to say, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. And you know, that is, that's just the way most of us think. What's mine is mine, and I'll keep it, but that is also prohibited in this commandment. That's also outlawed by God. The godly and biblical perspective is the third perspective that says, what's mine is God's, and therefore I'll share it. Amen? Amen. It's kind of hard to wrap our heads around that, isn't it? That's a hard word. I mean, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer, but just think the answer in your head. Do you have enough money? Of course you just said no, right? The answer is always no. We have been conditioned. We have been told that the answer is always no. The answer, how much money do you need, is, well, more than I have now, right? Certainly not less. What we need is more. That's always what we need. But do you realize that in this covenant community, in the biblical understanding of ownership, it tells us that enough is what God has given. That the amount sufficient to meet our needs and to obey His commands is the amount that He has provided. He has already given sufficiently so that there should be no need among us. The amount he's given is enough to provide for rich and poor alike. And so that means that if God has blessed you with a lot, he has done so for the good of your neighbor. You are required by the law to be generous. Otherwise, you're a thief. But let me be even clearer about that, because when I say if you have a lot, I know our culture, and I know all of you said, well, that's not me. Even though we live in the wealthiest culture in all of human history, even though, what is it, 80% of the world lives off of $10 a day, even though we throw away as much food as we consume, and, and I don't want to be, you know, unsensitive here, I know it is hard. A lot of us really are struggling. We live in an expensive place. Bills are high. And I don't want to dismiss that. But I do want, want to make it clear here that this applies to all of us. If any of us, regardless of the numbers of zeros in our paycheck, regardless of even if we have a paycheck, if any of us do not care as much about our neighbor's well-being as we do our own, we are thieves. This command calls us to share what we have. And not only to share, but to work actively to break down the systems that are keeping inequality as the standard. It calls us to actively work towards equality. If we don't educate ourselves about predatory lending practices, if we don't participate thoughtfully in shaping our economic systems, then we're thieves. We do not possess our own wealth. Do you hear me? 
And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about the wealth of our education, the wealth of our able bodies, the wealth of our free time. We have been gifted those things in order to be stewards. And we're commanded to be generous. We're commanded to be generous with all of those things or be guilty before the law of God. Okay. (laughs) This law commands generosity. But thirdly, this law, it promises riches. You know, you probably feel pretty bad right now. I hope you do. I mean, I just told you that you're stealing from the poor and you're stealing from God. And you know what? I mean it. I really think that. I think I'm doing the same thing. But my question is this. Are you going to change? Will you do anything differently now that you know that? Are you going to start tithing? Are you going to educate yourself on how to best love and serve the poor? Are you going to spend less money on yourself this week? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe for a few minutes, right? But just this morning, as I was walking out the door, I got my first ad for Black Friday. Shopping season is is moments away. You will be surrounded by, by the advertisements telling you all the things that you need. And by then, the sting of this sermon, if there is any, will be long gone. The truth is, you're not going to change right now just because you feel bad. Just feeling bad is not enough to change our hearts. So we can't stop there. We got to keep going. We got to look in the New Testament. We read that story uh, of Zacchaeus. Did you hear that when Manny was reading it? It's a pretty awesome story. This guy is Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector, who had made his livelihood off of deceiving people, off of stealing from them, off of unjust weights and measures like Deuteronomy was talking about, whose identity was wrapped up in all of that. It says all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his life and he completely changes. He gives away half of what he has, and with the remainder, he says, whatever I owe people, I'm going to pay them back four times. This guy whose whole identity was wrapped up in being a rich and deceptive guy just flips. What did Jesus say to him? Did he say, you tiny little thief, I see you up there, and if you don't stop, I'm going to smash you in between my finger and my thumb, right? No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm coming to your house today. That same situation, Jesus captures it in one of his parables. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had so that he could buy it. That thing that changed Zacchaeus. That thing that convinced him to finally loosen up his grasp on his wealth was not that he felt bad. It was that he found something that was worth even more than what he had. He found Christ himself. Folks, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Eighth Commandment. Because He is the one who offers us what our hearts are really searching for. He is the one who ends the fears that lead us to steal and to oppress others and to hoard things for ourselves. 
Because He is the one who guarantees us riches beyond our imaginations. That's the glory of the Gospel. It is that in Christ, we no longer have to strive for security. In Christ, we no longer have to strive for power or wealth or significance because He gives us all that and then some. Folks, this is the Gospel message that the God who declared that He was the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills became a man. And not only did He become a man, He became a poor man. He became a poor man who faced all that same temptation that you face. The temptation to wealth and to power and to oppression. And he resisted it. Instead, he lived a perfect life in your place. He did all this positive stuff that seems like such a burden. He sought equity. He gave generously. And and on the cross, he didn't just give money and resources. He gave his very life for the poor. For you. For me, for the poor, miserable sinners who had no hope. So Scripture, it tells us that, that in that moment, on the cross, Jesus forever purchased for us an inheritance. That's the word it uses. That Jesus has guaranteed that through faith in Him, we will have everything we need and more. That we will be co-heirs of the kingdom of God. Do you hear that? 1 Peter 3, it says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so that means whether you are rich or whether you are poor this morning, the only way you will ever be free from the power that money has over you. The only way you will ever be free from the desire for wealth, the desire to accumulate things, is if you see Jesus and realize that His riches are better. If you realize like Zacchaeus, that having Him come to your house today is greater than anything you will ever gain apart from Him. If you see that that the true riches not those ones that we gather that, that are going to be gone someday, that will burn up in the fire, but the true riches, the riches of being in the presence of God for all eternity, those ones that are imperishable and undefiled and unfading, that's what we have. And if you know that, then you have no need to steal. If you have that, then you have no need to hoard things from yourself. You have no reason to fear that you might be too generous, that you might give away too much because your inheritance can never be taken away. It can never be lost. Folks, that's really great news for us this morning. It's great news for the rich. It's great news for the poor. We have been given too generously so that we can give generously. So I want to invite you to receive that gift. If you're not a believer here this morning and you're hearing this all for the first time, I want to invite you this very minute to receive the gift that Christ has offered. Receive His life in exchange for yours. Receive His forgiveness and His mercy. 
And for all of you Christians in this room, if you're like me, if preaching through this stuff has helped you to recognize that you are a sinner, that you are a thief, and that you stand condemned before God, if you recognize that you need to be forgiven, I want to invite you to come here. To come to this table and to eat this bread and to drink this wine and to remember and to be reminded that he is a God who provides abundantly, who gives lavishly to anybody who comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these commandments. Thank you for the hard truth that they speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that you show us here that that our righteousness is just filthy rags when we compare it to your standard. But God, we are grateful that we have a Savior in Jesus. We are grateful to know the one who has clothed us in true righteousness. And I pray, Lord, today that we would be saved in him. In Christ's name, amen.